This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Do you think we should prosecute Canadians who go abroad to join jihadi terrorist groups and then return for whatever reason? It sounds like I'm asking a really stupid question, as the Valley Girls would say, like, duh. Nearly two-thirds of Canadians believe that, according to to a new Nanos poll. But our government thinks that we should focus perhaps more on rehabilitating them. Is that a good idea? Uh, Go to the numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now, I'm here with security and terrorism expert, Ross McLean. Hi, Ross. Hi, Libby. It's good to be with you. And it's interesting to hear what the Canadians' voice is on all this, because I think that's really an important thing. What do Canadians know? What do Canadians think? And what are they getting from their government? Right. Um, Well, I mean, this prompted a very heated exchange in the House of Commons uh, with the Conservative leader, Andrew Scheer, accusing the government of going soft on these jihadi groups. Uh, Do you think that's what they're doing? Well, certainly that's the political talk within the House, and certainly it's a concern of a lot of people. You know, one of the biggest concerns I've always uh, said I've had since we've really started down this terrorist road over the last, you know, number of years is that we really need to have Canadians know what's going on, know what prosecutions and defenses are taking place. So it's a lot better than the government or law enforcement just looking at you and saying, trust me. We're looking after it. There's not a whole lot of trust in the government for that. They'd like more than that, I think. Do we have a handle on the number of returning jihadis? I I don't really know that we do. We keep on hearing different numbers from the government, and some say those numbers are a year old. We haven't heard the specific numbers on what these returning jihadis are. It's not a big number. That's what we're led to believe. It's not a big number. But I will tell you, if the number is somewhere around 80 or so is one of the numbers that they were playing with, if these are 80 people who fought, who left our country to go decide to fight for ISIS, who became enlisted with ISIS to go out and do what ISIS does, which, as people know, we've seen people set on fire, sex slaves. We've seen villages with mass graves being found. I mean, it's just the most horrendous things going. And if these are the people who can freely just get up and leave now and come back in our country and and walk around, I think there's a concern that people want to know that more is being done than just saying, welcome home, it's too tough to prosecute, and uh, we'll look at rehabbing you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the government says they have ways of de-emphasizing and deprogramming is the words that Justin Trudeau used. I was actually really interested to see those words. It, it brought me back to the thinking about the movie Clockwork Orange, where you have to take people and sit them down to deprogram them. Uh, these are people who, if they've come back, 
I mean, I'm not aware of how they're going to be able to do that. Are they going to do it with consent? These people are going to say, yes, take me into a deprogramming program. And as far as I know, the, the program that they have is just being run out of uh, Quebec. There's one place in Quebec that's running it. So is everybody being sent there to be deprogrammed? Or, and, and what is their success rate? I think that you know, you've interviewed psychologists many times mm-hmm. over the years about people who've got different problems from PTSD to maybe violence or impulse control or whatever it is. And what's their success rate many times in rehabilitating people when they've got a, a, a predilection in one direction or another, let alone being a jihadi? Well, uh, it's interesting. I guess um, the assumption often is that people come back because they've grown disillusioned with what they found over there, but that's not necessarily the case. No, it's been said by some high-ranking former uh, U.S. military people that they came back because they lost, not because they had a change of heart and they thought that things were wrong and they wanted to leave. The U.S. in the, uh, the last year, with the new president in place, has decimated ISIS by changing the rules of engagement. There, 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 there's suggestions that they've killed over 70,000 jihadis. They've taken back 98% of all the territory. So the, the people who were over there fighting were in no way changing their mind other than that facing the barrage and the onslaught of special forces, U.S. and coalition air forces who were decimating them, killing them. That's why they left. And these people, though, are still now deployed. They're out. ISIS has spread out from its caliphate geography to now launching attacks in probably more countries around the world than it has in the past number of years. And uh, presumably some of these people might be coming back to be in uh, so-called sleeper cells. Well, this is the thing that we've seen. What we have seen is terrorism. They've used people who have come. They've, They've landed in other countries. They've lived for five, eight, ten years in the country's done nothing. They've been reportedly been good citizens. No one complained about them. And then all of a sudden they're activated and they go off and they start these killing sprees. So what is happening here? Are we going to have people that are here that can be activated, that could train other people over here? Like how close and I are we going to keep on them? Are they being put under the, the peace bonds and being brought in? Do we know what crimes they committed? Do we know if maybe they were at the scenes of mass slaughters of hundreds and hundreds of people in certain villages, and we're not going to deal with that? Well, the the other question I have about surveillance, I mean, how many people does it take? I mean, I think it takes a lot of people to, to do serious surveillance, even on one person. It does. It absolutely does, unless we get to the point where we can lock down and use very, very high-tech Uh, equipment and have the people to monitor them, which we don't really yet. We saw there was one terrorist in Canada, uh, his name escapes me right now, who got away to a small town here and he was supposed to be on an ankle bracelet and everything else and not go on the web and guess what, he was on the web, didn't care about the ankle bracelet and they they shot him in a cab as he was going off Oh right, I remember that. Yeah, so he was someone who was on the watch list, who we knew about and I don't know how often I tell you and I think the last time I was in talking to you in the audience Uh, Libby, about terrorism. I said, I'm waiting to hear that the person was known and on the watch list and that they were aware of who this person was. And that's usually what we find afterwards. So to me, watching and then having it happen is is the worst. It would be hard hard to sleep at night if I was uh, on that detail. Okay, um, let's uh, take a couple of calls. We've got Natalie in Oakville. Hello, Natalie. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? 
Um, I just wanted to comment on the whole situation because I find it um, terrifying. You know, I almost wish that we had some kind of system in place where if somebody was going to a foreign country where we knew this kind, these kinds of activities were happening, we could say, if you intend to join these people and fight on their behalf, don't expect re-entry to Canada. I mean, rehabilitating them um, costs money to the taxpayer, prosecuting them costs money to the taxpayer. If these people are found out, why are they allowed back in the country, period? I think these are the sort of countries that Canadians like Natalie are asking. And this poll seemingly shows that with two-thirds thinking, prosecute them. They come back, prosecute them. I mean, we prosecute lots of people and then hope to rehabilitate them in the prison system when they're in the prison system. But we get them off the streets. We don't allow them to walk freely. Well, Natalie is saying, why even let them back in the country? But they're, I guess, they're citizens. Um well, there was like, some... Can they not lose citizenship when they prove to be a threat internationally to humanity? Well, I think I mean, at, the, at the moment, the answer is is no. Um, I don't... I can't yeah. remember the Prime Minister's yeah. quote on that. A Canadian yeah. is a Canadian is, is a Canadian, Canadian is yeah. a Canadian or some such thing. I mean, that to me makes sense. You know, you commit crimes in Canada, let's rehabilitate you and prosecute you and, and do the best we can for you because you're Canadian, your crime was perhaps committed in Canada. But if you go in abroad, especially joining these groups, I mean, you're clearly choosing to do something that's a threat to humanity. And if you leave the country, I don't see why you should be let back in and why Canadians should think twice about you. Well, we've certainly seen the laws change that, that, that have said in the, in the last decade or so that if you commit a crime overseas in some other country or jurisdiction that would have been a crime here in Canada, you could be prosecuted for it if the, if the prosecution wants to be brought and the evidence can be brought together for it. So I think that the, the caller raises an excellent question. In fact, there's one country, I don't want to say the name because uh, I don't remember it specifically, but they were suggesting that they were going to have their special forces find the returning people and kill them. Uh, That's well, how they were going to deal with them. Th- yeah. Um, well, wasn't that the United States? I, I, I think it was Great Britain. I oh. think it was Great Britain, actually, okay. who said that they they just wanted to kill them rather than let them return. Right. I think that's what uh, Justin Trudeau was reacting to. Their own to. vices with no papers. I mean, inevitably, that's probably what would happen anyways, but at least Canadians wouldn't be responsible. Okay. Well, let me tell you something, yeah. too. There was reporting that was done that, that yeah. came out from a couple of ISIS people who snuck out. They got in, they got there, and they left. They gave a lot of intelligence. And one of the things you do when you go over to join ISIS, when you manage to get over there and sneak through Turkey or some other such country into Syria is when they bring you in, they take you, they put you in a little indoctrination room there. They make you take your passport and either burn it or tear it up. They make you swear allegiance to ISIS and they put you through training. And presumably they do what most uh, gangs and notorious outfits do. They make you go out and commit some heinous act to show that you are now um, a product of ISIS, no longer a product of the country that you were with. So when you have someone who's operating like that, Uh, coming back that went and left under the guise of the Canadian passport that then denied the Canadian passport. Like, I'm wondering how they actually got back. Were they running around Syria with their Canadian passports? I don't well, believe so. Well, they just say, they, uh, weren't there, there were lots of cases of people who claimed to have lost their passports four and five times. Well, and 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 uh, who knows what happened to those passports? They were probably uh, put to use by those terrorist organizations. Oh, absolutely uh, they were. Let's go to Joan in Oshawa. Hello, Joan. Hello, Libby, and uh, hello to your guest. Ross. uh, To Rob. Um, I believe that uh, we need to do something to 
how would you call it, stop it before it starts, uh, before they even think about coming back to Canada. Uh, Britain had a good idea, and they, uh, from what I learned, that most of them stayed there, or they went to other countries. I mean, most of them stayed in uh, the Middle East, or they went to other countries rather than returning to Britain. But um, the government here is too soft. There's, uh, we, do, we don't have any, uh, how would you call it, um, real threat of punishment uh, to these people. And I use the term loosely. We need to punish first, then rehabilitate, if it's possible, to do that. Yeah, Joan okay, Ra- Joan, thanks for your call. Yeah. Go ahead, Ross. Joan, Joan raises an excellent point. And let me tell you, there's another saying that they use in the special forces uh, for a timeline. So let's imagine, uh, you know, Libby listeners, there's a timeline running out in front of you from left to right as something is going to happen. There's a saying in the special forces that you want to be left of bang. Bang is where you get shot or somebody blows up. So you want to be left of that on the timeline. And just as Joan said, you want to preempt someone's ability to to conduct uh, a terrorist act. Left of bang. It's something that they know in the military. They talk about all the time. But we seem to be operating with, I've heard it described as a therapeutic foreign policy, where we're going to give therapy to the world in order to help deal with them. We're going to give counseling, and it's all going to be nice. Of course, the history of of warfare and military actions doesn't... uh, follow with that very well. Okay. Uh, we've got Keith in Rochester. Hi, Keith. Uh, just most people, to say it, are good. And what I resent about all this is that good people being put under pressure to accept evil back into the fold. It's been shown that most people do not like confrontation. And I would really like all Muslims to understand the predicament they're putting the rest of us in that because of their jihadists, good people are having to look themselves hard in the mirror and make decisions that go against their better nature insofar as us being good people. And in closing, society is going to have to come to grips with this. I tend to be an either-or type of guy. We're either going to kill these uh, terrorists outright like cockroaches, or society is going to have to bend over backwards for the next... 200 years to accept terrorism and do something about it on the planet, and most people are going to feel very bad about themselves because of the hard decisions we're going to have to make to keep evil at bay. Okay, Keith, thanks for that. You know, Keith makes a good point in this way. If we were to relate this to the handling of North Korea over the past 30 years or so and where we're at now, and it's coming up, are we going to continue to be held uh, and blackmailed by North Korea, is he going to be continued to allow to do what he does to his people in North Korea so he keeps on and then threaten the rest of us uh, with nuclear war? I mean, you know, I, I guess it's really it just occurred to me now, but I guess the people in South Korea must feel a lot like the people in Israel, knowing they've got a very thin border with all sorts of military and people who want them dead on the far side, and it could happen in an instant. So, it's, it's something as to how you deal with it. And I think Keith makes a point. You better decide how you're going to deal with it. Are you going to coddle? Are you going to talk? Are we going to use the United Nations? We've seen how the United oh, well, Nations yeah. now is looking like, I'm not even sure what the right words are for mm. the United Nations these days. They've gone from having zero credibility to some credibility when they do things right. It's, it's a little strange uh, where we're going through right now. 
Okay, um, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Ross McLean. Uh, the questions that Canadians answered in a Nanos poll, uh, do you think that returning jihadis should be prosecuted, or should we try to rehabilitate them? Um, most people apparently think we should prosecute them, but um, uh, we're not sure the government is with most people. They've been talking about rehabilitation, deprogramming, de-emphasizing, um, I don't know. Is, is this government just soft on terrorists? And uh, we're also going to get into some of the things that have been happening over the last year, just uh, reviewing where we're at with the terrorist threat in our midst. Let me give you the numbers before we go to break. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740, and we'll be right back. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I'm here with security and terrorism expert Ross McLean. We're talking about a nanos poll which says most Canadians think we should prosecute returning jihadis, Canadians who went abroad to fight with the terrorists. Um, I can hardly believe that's a question, except when you think about the approach that our federal government has been taking, which is talking about de-emphasizing, deprogramming, don't worry about it. Um, and we've put the question to you. So uh, let's start this segment by going right to the phones. We've got Dennis in Brampton. Hi, Dennis. Thank you for taking my call. Libby, You're very and welcome. Your guest. Uh, the first point I want to make is uh, I refuse to be terrified or live in terror uh, by virtue of the, the rhetoric that sometimes surrounds this particular particular question. Mm-hmm. Just given, you know, what has actually happened in this country, uh, I think the issue is more is complex. So I don't I don't pretend to have the answer between prosecution or rehab. I think it's probably a combination of the two. And the idea of prosecuting and locking people up has not worked particularly well in the past. And we've seen the U.S. and what that resulted in in places like Guantanamo, etc. The other thing is I don't think that we should be holding the U.S. as an example that we ought to follow. Uh, the root of what is going on, I think, rests with the U.S. There was no ISIS before the invasion of Iraq. Oh, I, well, I, I, I disagree with that. You know, um, in, um, in that part of the world, uh, all through history, there have been movements of a return to the so-called pure Islam, to political Islam, where Islam, and it kind of ebbs and flows, and it is a theme that runs through their history. So it I think is, that to blame tribal. it on the United States is is uh, is really quite simplistic. Well, I, I'm not sure that it's, it's as black and white as that, but I believe that they've certainly contributed to oh, it. Oh, well, and okay. the point I want to make is your guest um, talked about, North, touched on North Korea. Mm-hmm. And while he didn't come right out and say it, I think he hinted at the fact that perhaps a Military, <clears throat> military strike is what should happen. And the United Nations is not supporting that because we all know that if that were to occur, 
it would be a complete disaster in that region. So uh, if that's what he was hinting at, I, I couldn't support that either. Okay, so Dennis, I, I'm, thanks for your comments. I'm going to let uh, Ross respond because he can tell us what he was hinting at. Thank you, Dennis. Yeah, what I was hinting at is you have to stop the threat. And I believe that the most likely way this, the threat is going to stop is the uh, North Korean leader is going to eat a very bad muffin one day and he's going to be dead. I mean, there's a lot of pressure that was put on China and the U.S. Special Forces, what they will do. And he's got people around him who know. They, they've, this One of the things the U.S. has been doing is they've been raising the pressure on North Korea. So what they've had to do is operate at red alert. I mean, they've had bombers going over. They've had uh, military drills there. So his, you inevitably get tired of being on watch for that. And you know, you get people on the inside sometimes who may decide that enough is enough and, the, and they'll end this. Well, yeah, I don't think anybody, I don't think the U.S., I would hope the U.S. isn't going to do anything that's going to put all those people in South Korea at risk because, I mean, it's no, they, the I same think, neighborhood. I mean, you know, you the, a military uh, threat against North Korea is a threat against South Korea, so... Yeah. Right. But I mean, they have to make a, at some point you have to make a decision about what you're going to do. If the North Korean leader has lost his mind and decides, you know what, my doctor just told me I'm going to die because I've got cancer in six months or something. Push the button. We're going to end it this way. I'm going out with a bang. You know, you have to do something at I some mean, point. I, I, you know, uh, a lot of people say the North Korean leader is he's not crazy. Uh, he's perhaps evil. But he's not crazy. No, I'd, and I would not yeah. suggest he's crazy. I would suggest that he is very well strategically motivated to do everything that he's doing for the reasons he's doing it. And then the question is, uh, just because you're smart, if he's on the way out, maybe everybody should go with him. I mean, we've certainly seen that with some leaders for doing stuff. So we'll see. But I, I'd like to see an end put to it. And I think that was what the U.S. was hoping China was going to help with. Okay. William in Toronto. Hi, William. Hi. Um I have great concerns about uh, deprogramming and reprogramming for rehabilitation purposes. Um, we, we know these things don't work because uh, way back in 1950s, uh, there was Dr. Ewan Cameron at, the, at the McGill University, yeah. McMaster University in Hamilton. He was financed by the CIA to do mind control experiments, and he just deprogrammed everyone. So they had no thoughts, and then he tried to reprogram them with uh, what he thought should be uh, uh, the thoughts that people should have, and it was just a, a failure. The court said, you're not allowed to do this in 1970. Uh, there's a lot of people, that, uh, uh, there's court precedent. Uh, Alan Stein was a lawyer for all of this, and uh, uh, it, it just doesn't work in rehabilitation. There is no rehabilitation, and deprogramming people and reprogramming this way is very dangerous and just experimental. And um, I think we should put laws in place saying uh, up front, if you go, if you're Canadian and you go and uh, fight against a foreign enemy, you're going to have to stay there, and we're going to come and do battle uh, against you over there. You and, mean fight uh, with a foreign enemy? Uh, right uh, beforehand. I think and that um, we have, have to be. To very careful. Thanks, William, for your call okay. about a law like that, because uh, because of bad things that we've seen in our past, like um, interning Japanese Canadians and, and, and all of that. Um, interesting, in the break, Ross and I were just chatting about the, there. there is a point, you know, you, you want to be tough. 
and and you want to deal with these people, but there's a point where you you compromise your own democracy and your laws and your values in so doing, where you have to sort of think twice. Absolutely. It's, you know, listen, this rule applies to uh, military conflict as well. I learned this when I was in the police department, a young man. I got taught, never make a threat to anybody about threatening you're going to arrest them or threaten I'll do this. Mm-hmm. Never make a threat. Only say what exactly you're going to do if they fail to follow with you. So in other words, it's interesting. You could find yourself in a position to say, well, if you do that, I'll arrest you. And you know, you don't really have any grounds. You're just kind of a young cop and you're angry. And then say, okay, well then arrest me. And then, you know, you're going to be in trouble if you go and arrest them because you don't really have the grounds. So you learn that you want to teach people that when I say something, I'm predicting the future. I'm not making an idle threat. I'm not giving something I'm going to walk back on. And when you do that, you gain more cooperation from people because they know where you stand. So I think that's part of the thing we have to look at the reputation in dealing with these different countries and leaders. Okay, let's go to Mike in Toronto. Hello, Mike. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Good, good. Uh, Rob? um, Ross. Ross. It's Ross. The R-O-S-S. Although I will answer to Rob if you're making me dinner. but. (laughs) Okay. I just started listening to this. When bad people come over and they've been doing their dirty deeds there, everybody's reaction is to grab this guy, throw him in jail, and you make yourself feel good. But, you know, wouldn't it be better to treat him like everybody else in this country and then watch him, see who all his friends are, keep an eye on him, and gather hundreds and thousands of pieces of information and then at a later date, you deal with these people. And that's the way I look at it, and I'm hoping that's the way CSIS is looking at it. And uh, I would just gather information, information, information as much as you can, and deal with these people later, not to be so quick as to throw them in jail. And uh, that is the way I think uh, they would operate. And I'm just a layperson, uh, a worker, like everybody else in this city. And I have confidence in CSIS. And uh, I don't think it's near as bad as possibly what we make it out to be. Okay, I will let Ross respond. Mike, thanks for your call. Yeah, Mike describes himself as just a layperson, but he's obviously an intelligent person. You don't have to be an expert in a lot of things, these things to figure them out. And and Mike is right about one thing. Certainly, the CSIS, and you watch people, uh, you gather intelligence, you may choose certain people to watch and not arrest or put in jail or not prosecute. However, there are others that I think should be prosecuted and put in jail. And there will be times, and law enforcement will do things where they'll let somebody go. They'll let, and they'll be, they'll be following them, watching everything that they do. I remember in particular uh, one we had here, the York University murder of a young girl that was killed in her, in her room out uh, at York University. The police had the person in for the interview, felt fairly certain this was the person, but had enough room to let them go. But then they then followed them until the person further incriminated themselves and they prosecuted the person. So certainly gathering intelligence is one thing to do. But there'll be other ones, though, that I think just need to be locked up. Yeah, and you want to make sure that you don't lose track of them long enough for them to do something. Okay, Don in Cambridge. Hello, Don. How are you, Libby? Fine, how are you? Good, good. Anyway, uh, in regard to these uh, terrorists that are returning, the government ought to put them in a holding cell, find out what country they were fighting in, and then we give them a return ticket to that country 
advise the government they're coming in, and they can charge them with all the crimes that they committed in that country. I don't know why we're fooling with these people. It's just nonsense to think these people are killers and murderers, and they commit murders in the most horrendous fashion. And and we're supposed to welcome them with open arms. I think Trudeau is uh, um, is is walking uh, is is out of line in that respect. I think most Canadians would say, "What do we want with these people?" And it's the same. They're going to have the same problem with North Korea. Uh, Trump. I, I have to agree with Trump. At least he's calling the United States and doing things. You know, he's putting his embassy in Tel Aviv and. Canada abstained from the vote, we should have backed it. You mean Jerusalem. And, uh, I mean, every president in the United States yeah. said they do it, but they don't do it. Trump is doing stuff. And I think that's why China and Russia are talking to him, because this guy will fire a missile. And and as he said about North Korea, okay. somebody's got to look after this problem. Great. Because Thanks, if Don. We, if, yeah, if we let them have nukes, then South Korea wants them, Japan wants them. Iran is going to want them, and and at that point somebody's oh, going to Iran is one around. Okay, so, Don, thanks anyway. for that. Let me let me say something that Don that yeah. Don tips off for me that I that I want to put out. And I know that a lot of your audience will be able to put forward to this to look at this. You know, he talks about. I think it's time we all started taking pride in the countries that are very democratic: the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, Israel. These are countries that people want to immigrate to and go to. Immigrants go there to have a better life. And there's a very important distinction I heard, Libby. Somebody once said they were talking about the U.S. and the same thing would apply to Canada. Oh, the country was built on immigration. That's not really the truth. The countries are built on their constitutions, their rules of laws, their institutions who allow people to come over and flourish and live without a government that comes and takes them away in the middle of the night or doesn't give them property rights and things like that. People come here to Canada because of the rule of law that we had here in Canada that allows you to flourish and yeah. do well and feel free. And I think we all better fight to protect that more in the coming times because that's what everybody in these countries are looking for. Countries democratic like Canada. Okay, on that note, uh, we're running out of time, and I think that's a, a nice positive note to wrap things up for the day. Uh, to the callers we couldn't get to, Free For All Friday is coming up, and uh, I'll be happy to take your calls and your comments on this coming up. Ross McLean, our security and terrorism expert, thank you so much for being with us interesting conversation today. Yeah, let me say thank you to all the great listeners and you, Libby, for all the great interviews and good discussions we get to have here on your station. I really enjoy it myself. Okay, great. Thank you for that. And everybody, again, we're still in the holiday period. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. That's all the time we have for Fight Back for today. And we now break for traffic and news. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.